Christ is superior to so many things. We're going to be looking at it in a few minutes. Before we get there, I know, Bob, you just prayed. I've been receiving texts this morning of people we need to pray for. Joyce Berkeley asked us to pray for her sister, Shirley Farrell. She has myeloma. She's in her last hours or, or days of life. She's in God's hand. She is a child of God. And soon, the Father is going to call her home. We've been asked to pray for the family, pay for, pray for her that it would be a speedy time that God would take her home as painlessly as possible. We've already prayed for Steffi and Kubi in Turkey, but there's so many others that are suffering. We have people that are recovering from their surgeries, Rick Teeters and Cheryl Tremble. There's a revival going on right now, started at Ashbury University, and it's now spreading all over. Uh, people are traveling all over to get to Ashbury to be part of what God's doing there. One of our members was stopped out in the parking lot. A lady, Morgan Kepper, asked her to pray for her son, Max. He's five years old. He has a brain tumor. He has surgery coming this Friday. We as God's children have an awesome privilege that we can go before the Father and we can bring these requests to him. Let's pray. Father God, you've heard these requests. Father, I pray for Shirley right now. Father, in the last hours or last days of her life on this earth, Father, she's ready to come home. Father, I pray that this time, this passing would be quick, and that, Father, you would bring your child home. I pray for comfort for her, most of all for the family that's still here, as they will go through a grieving process and a loss of a loved one. Touch them with your love. Father, I pray for Rick and Cheryl. Father, as they're recovering from their surgery recently, Father, I pray that you bring healing to the body. Father, for a revival going on right now in Ashbury and other colleges in the country, Father, there may be an experience, a fresh awakening of the Spirit of God in their lives. Draw these men and women back to you. Strengthen their faith and their walk with you, Father. Father, we have a, a film coming up, Jesus Revolution. We'll be in our theater here on, beginning on the 24th. Father, I pray that you'll use this as a tool to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those who just want curious ears, want to see what this is all about. Father, may this revolution begin in our hearts, in our community, through this theater, uh, showing it. Father, use it as an instrument of your love and your grace. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't get to come up here often, but I look forward to it. I brought my Bible. What are you laughing about? This is the one I use every Sunday downstairs. This is my New International Reader Version, or my children's Bible. And we're going to be using that text today. Pastor Dave, I want to say about two months ago, knew he was going to be gone because for his daughter's wedding, asked if I would 
bring the message. And I said, man, I would love to do that. Then he gave me the assignment. Hebrews chapter 8 and 9. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. My outline is four pages long. And this week I said, man, there's no way I can go through both chapters. So today we're going to go through chapter 8. And uh, even though you have chapter 9 in your bulletin, I'll give you the answers for that later on. <laughs> Some of you are glad to hear that. If you look at my outline, it's four, four pages long. My outline, not my message. I was like, man, I can't do this. I preach maybe 10 minutes downstairs, and then we play games or video, anything to, to uh, rehearse and reapply what we've talked about in Scripture. I won't be cruel to you this morning. Uh, when the writer of Hebrews wrote to, to these Hebrew believers... The temple was still there. It, it wasn't destroyed till 70 A.D. So there was daily sacrifices going on. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was ha still happening once a year. Judaism was an accepted religion. Yeah, just another religion. However, Christianity was not. This new way was different. The Romans were saying, there's something wrong with this. It started with the, the emperor and worked down through the soldiers. If you are a Jewish believer, you've now accepted Jesus as your Messiah, you were persecuted. What did that mean, Pastor Michael? You could be beaten. You could be imprisoned. You could be tortured. You could be put to death. There were those that said, now, wait a minute. When we were practicing Judaism, man, they left us alone. But now they're coming after us. And for some, they thought, if I just go back to the old ways, it would be a lot easier. How many of us like to do things the easy way? A lot of us, right? Unfortunately, Christianity following Jesus is never the easy way. We get comfortable when we're in church and when we're other believers. But there is a time coming, a persecution will arise, and it's going to be affecting you and me here in this country someday. Until then, we have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus wherever we go. Maybe tell him, yeah, I'll pray for you. Your son's going into surgery. He's got a brain tumor. How traumatic. I can't fix that, but I can pray. Later on, I'm going to do an object lesson. I didn't think about it until a few minutes before I came up. Sort of the same way I do it downstairs. So I'm not an artist, so you'll be seeing my chicken scratch. As we open, open the message, open up your Bibles to chapter 8 of Hebrews. Now, Pastor David and I, we have the same favorite commentator on the book of Hebrews, Warren Wiersbe. I looked up on the line and said, what was the best commentator available? I saw it. I bought it. I didn't realize that it was a technical commentary. Three and a half pages into it, he says that we don't know who wrote Hebrews. 
And I was like, it took you three and a half pages to say this. This is going to be a grueling experience for me. So I left that one. I went back to what I usually use. In chapter 8, we have a superior covenant. Now, if your NIV Bible isn't the same as mine, that's okay. It's going to be on the board behind me. As you fill in your, your uh, bulletin, this superior covenant, verses 1 through 3, we have a superior high priest. You know what his name is? You can tell me. Thank you. All right. Here is the point of what we are saying. What was he saying? If you go back in chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, it says, a high priest like this meets our needs. He is holy, pure, and without uh, blame. He isn't like uh, other people. He does not sin. He's lifted high above the heavens. He isn't like the other high priest. They needed to offer sacrifice day after day, first for their own um, sin and then to do it for the sins of the people. But Jesus gave one sacrifice for sins of the people. He gave it once for all time. He did it by offering himself. So in chapter 8 it says, this is the point we're wanting to say. We do have a high priest like that. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the majesty in heaven. He serves in the sacred tent. The Lord set up truly the true holy tent, a mere man did not set it up. Every high, priest is appointed, every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. So that priest also had to have something to offer. As I read those three verses, I thought, well, this high priest Jesus is very unique. First thing, his work is complete. We said, well, Pastor Michael, how do you know that? Verse 1 says, he sat down. Now, for the two years, two summers in a, a Bible college, I worked as a concrete finisher. One thing about concrete, when you have wet concrete, you don't get to take a break. You work as long as it takes. As long as there's work to be done, you're still working. In the Old Testament tabernacle, you have the furnishings listed, and you'll notice there's something that's not there. There's no chairs in the tabernacle. You know why? Because the work was never done. But Jesus, as that high priest, he sat down. It's completed. He is enthroned. He said he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the king. The equal honor of God himself, Jesus is enthroned. Where? The majesty in heaven. He is exalted. Verse 2, he serves in that sacred tent. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, even though the Son of Man did not come to be served, instead, he came to serve others. He came to give his life as the price for setting many people free. Verse 3 says, Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. So that priest 
also had to have something to offer. He offered. What did he offer? Himself, according to chapter 7. Jesus offered himself once for all. We have that superior high priest. In verses 4 through 6, we have that true sanctuary. What if he were on the earth? Then he would not be a priest. There are already priests who offer gifts required by the law. They serve at a sacred tent. But it is only a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why God warned Moses when he was about to build the whole tent. God said, be sure to make everything just like the pattern I have showed you on the mountain. Then verse 6, Jesus had been given a greater work to do for God. He is the go-between, the mediator for the new covenant. The covenant is better than, than the old one. It is based on better promises. So we had a superior high priest. Well, now he talks about that true sanctuary. In verse 4, Jesus could not have been an earthly priest. Why? He was from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. In verse 5, it says that that sanctuary, that Old Testament tabernacle and temple, they were just a copy and a shadow. And it's like an example or an imitation of that true sanctuary. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, says, these were a shadow of things to come. The reality is found in Christ. Having done construction, and we, before you begin, you have a blueprint, right? Well, for these Hebrew believers, these Jewish believers who were considering, you know, it's a lot easier to escape this persecution. We just go back to Judaism. It would be like trying to live on the blueprint instead of in the building itself. If they were to forsake following Jesus just to have an easier way, they'd be missing out on a tremendous blessing I love verse 6 because it tells us what Jesus' ministry is. He's the mediator. He's the go-between for who? You and me and everyone else to where? To God. As I read these verses 4 and 5 and 6, I found three evidences of the superiority of that new covenant. First, it's ministered by a superior priest in a superior place, heaven. And it's founded on better promises. Verse 7 through 9, we have the promise of God's grace. The writer of Hebrews says, suppose nothing had been wrong with the first covenant, then no one would need have looked for another. But God found fault with the people. He said, now he's quoting for Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. A new day is coming, says the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I will also make it with the people of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with the people long ago. That was when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My new covenant will be different because it, they didn't remain faithful to the old covenant. So I turned away from them. This promise of God's grace God didn't find fault with the old covenant. He found fault with the people. Even though this new covenant brings freedom from the law of Moses, it does not bring freedom to disobey God and sin. God desires the righteousness of the law to be fulfilled in us through the Holy Spirit. If you don't have this in your Bible, Mark, you should underline this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible tells us, Christ set us free to enjoy our freedom. So remain strong in the faith. Don't let the chains hold you again. This promise not only tells us to look forward to what God has said is going to happen. Not only a promise of grace, but a promise that he is going to set us free. As Christians, we get to enjoy freedom. As I was reading in Hebrews, and I've gone through all 13 chapters now, I was like, why would anybody want to go back to the old way? I thought about Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And the first time it got difficult, where do they want to go? <laughs> Let's go back to Egypt. You were slaves then. <laughs> what is wrong with you? God has set you free. Why go back into that type of slavery? Verse 10 tells us that promise of an internal change. He says, this is the covenant I will make with Israel. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The law could declare God's holy standard, but it could never provide the power needed for obedience. The law was external. God's demands were written on stone tablets. But this new covenant makes it possible for God's word to be written on our minds and our hearts. God's grace makes an internal transformation that makes us a surrendered believer more and more like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul wrote, we are being changed to become more like him so that we have more and more glory. And that glory comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. That word being changed is the same word we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this, we will be transformed. In Greek, it's metamorphosis. Really hard to pronounce, but it means a metamorphosis, a change from within. An example I would use downstairs is a caterpillar. 
A caterpillar will, will live only a short time as a caterpillar. Then it goes into the chrysalis states, makes its uh, cocoon, and it's a metamorphosis takes place, and it comes out as a butterfly. It's no longer a caterpillar. It is a butterfly. There is a transformation that takes place. Now, my heart breaks for Christians that want the new covenant for salvation. Galatians chapter 2, verses 8 tells us, For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works that anyone can boast. People say, I want that. I want my salvation to be paid for by Jesus Christ. But they give up on that, and they want the old rituals for sanctification. The first church I attended when I was between 16 and 25, when I wasn't in the Air Force, as you walked into the front of the church, there was a poster three feet by four feet, and it listed everything that a Christian did and everything that a Christian did not do. I hated going through that front of that church because every time I looked at that poster, I was like, well, I don't do those, those things, and I do do those things. Man, this is so hard. And I was under a fear and guilt for f five years that I attended a church without knowing Jesus as my Savior. I was 21 after the Air Force when I discovered that there's not just playing a game, going to church, but a life change that God wants to take place in your heart and in my heart when we receive Jesus. And he does that to set us free. We are no, under, no longer under the law. Christianity isn't a bunch of do's and don'ts, but a bunch of get-to's. Whether it's praying for someone out in the parking lot, uh, or just being there, being the shoulder to cry on, being there to help others in need. The Monday before Valentine's, I had to make a run down to Scott's Bluff to get some things for my wife's uh, party she was having the next day. I was in Safeway, and this lady had a toddler, I'm going to say maybe two years old, and it had a baby, and I didn't think was three months old. And she was buying her groceries, and she came up short. She's paying for everything in cash. And she looked at what she had, and she grabbed a, a gallon of milk, and said, I can't afford this, and just put it back. Well, I'm thinking... Well, I can afford a gallon of milk. <laughs> so I said, that's okay. I'll take that. So I put it over with mine and the things I bought. I have this gallon of milk. And I chased her outside the grocery store and said, ma'am, this is for you. I said, I want you to know that God loves you. And she goes, when I stopped and I looked at what cash I had, I was praying that God would send a Christian. Are you a Christian? And I went, Yes, ma'am, I am. And I said, this is the very least that I can do is give you a, a gallon of milk. But the most I can do is pray for you. Then she told me the story, what was going on in her life. Uh, after having the little baby, her husband bailed on her and left her with two children. 
She had to go back to work to be able to provide a home for them. And I said, ma'am, I wish I could do something for you financially. She goes, no, you don't have to. You are praying for me. That helps me so much. And I told my wife, it brought me to tears. How could God use a simple prayer outside of a grocery store to encourage someone? It obviously did. So we saw the promise of that eternal change. Then we moved to the promise of forgiveness. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. A man will not teach his neighbor anymore, and he will not teach his friend anymore. He will not say, know the Lord. Everyone will know me from the least important to the most important. All of them will know me. I will forgive their evil ways, and I will remember their sins no more. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 tells us there's no forgiveness under the law. It says, so it cannot be said that anyone will be made right with God by obeying the law. Not at all. The law makes us more aware of our sin. Only through the sacrifice of Jesus is forgiveness possible to all who call on him. Now, as I was reading this, understand that this is quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31. He says in verse 8, a new day is coming. And then in verse 11, it says, there will be a time when you will not have to teach your neighbor anymore. You will not have to teach your friend anymore. You'll have to not have to say, know the Lord, for everyone will know me. That time hasn't come yet. I have heard people say, well, this right here proves that we don't have to witness. I'm sorry. We have to be a witness wherever we go. There will be a time, according to Jeremiah 31, when we will not have to tell anyone about Jesus. This refers to the day when Israel will be reunited with Judah and rejoice in the promised kingdom. There will be no need to share the gospel with others because everyone will know the Lord personally. When you read Revelation and you find out who actually goes into the millennium, it's only believers. You won't have to tell anyone about Jesus. They'll be able to see Jesus for themselves. Everybody will know Jesus for that thousand years. Now, unfortunately, those going into millennium, they're going to have children. Their children will have to know the Lord. And if mom and dad forgets to impress upon their children to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself, there will be those in the millennium at the end of it who will not know Jesus. How do you know that? Because at the end when Satan's released, he's going to go through and he's going to gather all these non-believers say, let's do it. We can take Christ out. And you, you read the rest of the story. It's not much of a fight. Jesus just takes care of all that. But until that time, you and I have an obligation, a commission to share the gospel. Mark said to preach the gospel to every living creature. So there'll be a day that you won't have to do it, but it's not this day. And when I thought of that, Miss Kathy will send me uh, posts from uh, Star Wars, knowing that I'm a Star Wars fan. 
But Kathy, did you know that Star Wars is not my favorite movie? My favorite movie is Lord of the Rings. And especially The Return of the Kings, which came out in 2003. It's about to be 20 years old, right? I have a clip I want you to show them. is leading the armies from Rohan and the armies from Gondor. They're going against the armies of Mordor. And as the armies together, Mordor opens up the black gates and they surround them. And they, you see the fear in their eyes. And Aragorn reminds them, there will be a day where the hearts of men will melt. But that's not this day. There will be a day when men will fall. But that's not this day. Today, we fight. Now, I have a Lord of the Rings uh, ring. Uh, that one ring. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them and in darkness bind them. And I was going to wear it. I was wearing it two days ago and I had it on my ne necklace. And at night I took it off and I can't remember where I put it. It would have been a great illustration. <laughs> so, yeah, Miss Joanne found it for me the first time and I was like, hey, I'll, it's great, I'll wear it Sunday. And I, I misplaced it. It's somewhere in my bedroom. I just don't remember where. There will be a day when we won't have to share Jesus. But that's not this day. This day, you and I have to be about sharing the good news no matter what. We can share Hebrews. As you've been studying it for the last couple of weeks, we're learning of how greater Jesus is than the, than the law. How more how more superior he is than angels. You see in the bumper, he's better than money. He's better than all that life has to give. You have the good news. I have the good news. Open your mouth and talk. Someday, we won't have to do it. Everybody will see Jesus. But until that day, you and I need to be about the Father's business. So we have that promise of forgiveness. Look at verse 12. I will forgive their evil ways. I will not remember their sins 
anymore. It means that God will not hold our sin against us. God deals with us, you and me, on the basis of grace and mercy. When we experience forgiveness from God, he makes it possible for us to forgive others. Rule number one downstairs in worship their way is be kind. And we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. tells us, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you and me. Finally, we come to the promise of eternal blessings. Look at verse 13. God called the covenant new, so he made the first one out of date. And what is out of date is getting older will soon disappear. 70 AD had not happened yet. Titus had not come in and destroyed Jerusalem. And when he saw the gold on the temple that Herod had embellished the temple, he ordered that every stone be torn down so they could get the gold. They melted the gold. Do you remember someone coming out of the temple and the people look, look how magnificent this temple is. He goes, you see this temple? Tear it down in three days. I'll raise it up. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. That was going to happen by T Titus in 70 AD. Talk about his temple. You tear down this temple, and in three days, I will raise it again. As you go through Hebrews, if you see a word repeated over and over again, especially in, in a couple of verses, God put it there for a reason. We talk about the eternal blessings. Later on in chapter 9, he's going to use the word appear three times. First of all, in Hebrews chapter 5, he talks about eternal Eternal salvation. He says eternal salvation comes from him. In chapter 9, he says eternal redemption has been obtained. In 9, verse 15, he says internal, eternal inheritance we'll get to share. So as I saw these three words, eternal, well, I circled them, and I went, yo, this eternal blessing is an eternal salvation, an eternal redemption, and an eternal inheritance. When you get an inheritance, after someone dies, right? We have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. We don't get it right now. Either we have to die or Jesus has to come back at that point, we'll receive that inheritance. I love the promise of this eternal blessing. For we all have a hope, something to look forward to. It's not a, I hope my favorite team wins the Super Bowl, or I hope we go to state, but we have a confident assurance that Jesus, he is our better high priest. He has made a, a better 
covenant for us. Now, I told you I'm not going to read all 28 verses in Hebrew chapter 9. I'm going to keep my word. But I had it put out in your bulletin. He said, well, if you're like me, I want to know the answers to that. So we're going to go through the outline, and the outline only. In verses 1 to 10, we have an inferior old covenant sanctuary, the tabernacle and the temple. There's five reasons that the tabernacle and that temple were inferior. Number one, it was an earthly sanctuary. Chapter 9, verse 1. Number two, it was a type or copy, a shadow of something greater. Verses 2 through 5. Number three, it was inaccessible to the people. Who got to go into the tabernacle? Who got to go into the temple? Was it the people? The priest, Levitical priests, got to go on the daily sacrifices, but then only the high priest gets to go in once a year. But before he could make an atonement for the sins of the people, he had to make an atonement for himself. That tabernacle, number four, it was inferior to the heavenly sanctuary. It was temporary. It had to be set up and taken down every time they moved. For the 40 years they wandered in the desert, every time they moved, they had to tear down the tabernacle. The Levites had to carry it, and there was specific orders of the way they had to be carried, who had to carry it. It was earthly. It was a type. It was inaccessible. It was temporary. And its ministry was external, not internal. Now, I told you, I thought about it in an illustration. I want to show you this. This morning, Bob and I were talking about the old way of teaching Sunday school. He remembers being taught on a flannel graph. I actually have a flannel graph, two of them. And I'm like, you know, produced in the early 50s. So this is what I use downstairs. I can draw it. I'm not a very good artist. But in that tabernacle, you had the holy place. There was three articles of furniture in there. You had the lampstand, this seven-armed lampstand that was filled with oil and it was lit. This was the only source of light in the Holy of Holies. There was just the, the curtains around there was six inches thick. It would have been pretty dark in there. Every day the, the priest would come in, they would um, add oil in these seven arms. They would light that wick if it had gone out, that it might give light as they had, the priest had to come in and do this work. Then over here you had the, show, the, the, the table of showbread. There was seven loaves of bread replaced with new ones. They take the old ones out and then they would have replace it with the new ones. This is when David, when he was running from um, King Saul, goes into the tabernacle at Shiloh, and he asked to eat the bread for his men. And the priest said, no, this is only supposed to be for the priest. 
And David said, no, my men are starving. And he gives them the bread. But up here, you have the altar of the incense. Now, David tells us in Psalms that our prayers are like the incense going up to God. The Levitical priest could work in the holy place every day, but only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that's once a year on Yom Kippur at the Day of Atonement. Inside that Holy of Holies, there was one thing, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, inside the Ark, you had the golden jar of manna, you had Aaron's rod that budded, and then you had the, uh, the, the second stone tablets that Moses received from God of the law. Now, once a year, the, whole, the high priest would go in, this on top of the ark, this was called the mercy seat. And on top of the mercy seat were two cherubim with their wings stretched out. And in between the wings, you had the Shekinah glory of God. The people were not allowed to get in here, only the priest and the high priest up here. Behind this veil, this Shekinah glory of God represented the presence of God. I thought, well, that's pretty unique. And I started looking at this. I was like, you know what? This is a symbol for us, you and I, to get to the presence of God. There was something that had to be made a bridge. Now I'm going to draw a line from the altar of incense, from the lampstand to the show table, table of showbread. What is that? It's a cross. Jesus said this old sanctuary was just a picture, a shadow, an imitation of how man could make it into the presence of God. It's through the cross of Jesus. Verses 1 to 10 of chapter 9, you had the inferior old covenant sanctuary. In verses 11 through 28, you had that superior heavenly sanctuary. There's five reasons why the heavenly sanctuary is superior. First of all, verse 11, it's heavenly. Not like the one that was on the earth. Its ministry is effective to deal with sin, verses 12 through 15. Its ministry is based on a very costly sacrifice. Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin once and for all. Verses 16 through 23. Its ministry represents fulfillment, verse 24. And verse number five, its ministry is final and complete, verses 25 through 28. Now, I've just gone through all of chapter nine. There's so much more in there. I encourage you, go back and read chapter eight and chapter nine. You've got an outline in front of you. You can see a 
before you a piece of paper that will help you understand God's word. Now, at the end of chapter 9, I told you there's three times the word appear is used. In verse 26, Jesus has appeared, past tense, to do away with sin by dying on the cross. Then in verse 24, Jesus is now appearing in heaven for us. That's the present. And in verse 28, it says that Jesus will appear to take Christians, believers, home with him to heaven. That's the future. So you have the past, present, and future appearances of Jesus. He did appear when he lived on this earth and died on the cross. He's appearing right now for you and me in heaven and interceding, praying for you and me. And one day he will appear again. Now this is a description in the, Old, in the New Testament that blows me away. We live on a round earth, right? Thanks to Columbus, we discovered that it's round. It's not flat. The Bible says that when he comes into those clouds, that every eye is going to see him. Well, if the earth is round and he comes into the sky, how's every eye going to see him? I don't know. Maybe he's going to make an orbit as he goes around. I don't know. But every eye is going to see him and we will all know that he's coming to take us home with him. Let me pray. Father God, thank you.